Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Larry, I always love it when we revisit the voices of Brookline characters, and there are so many of them. That's why we break them up into various episodes. And uh, two of them today that you wanted to focus on, why don't we take them in some semblance of alphabetical order, starting with the first names. Dr. David Link, and uh, this has to do with the very prominent subject of vaccination in our day here, but you say he told uh, he did something very special for the world uh, way back when, when vaccinations were important elsewhere. Yeah, unfortunately, David Lincoln lived across the street from me on Sumner Road and was very helpful to me in all ways and was a great lover of Mozart like I am. Um, died uh, quite recently. And uh, he was only like in his late 70s. He was a fantastic doctor. And he, he helped me very recently as a matter of fact, when I called him up about a year ago and told him that I had a melanoma and that I was thinking of having an operation at the Beth Israel, and he said, anybody who doesn't go to the Dana-Farber in Boston who has a cancer uh, should have their head examined. And I said, David, I'm going to the Dana-Farber. And I went there, and they they got this invasive melanoma in right. time, and here I am. So, And also, years ago, living across the street, I got to know David, and uh, I was a little bit of a hypochondriac at that time, and I'd go to him and ask him questions, and he was very reassuring. He had a great medical career. Um, at one time, he was, uh, you know, practicing uh, retail medicine, so to speak, like most doctors do, where he treated a small uh, group of usually youngsters and uh, helped them as a nephrologist, which is what he was, kidney disease. Uh, but... Um, as time went on, he decided that he wanted to do a more public form of medicine with a wider range of uh, patients and patients who were relatively dispossessed on the poor side, who did not receive uh, the correct medical attention or the medical attention that was available that never reached them. So he, he went into public medicine and not only did his public medicine career encompasses work in Cambridge mostly and the Boston area. It spread out to places like uh, the Ukraine and Africa where he uh, did groundbreaking work, bringing programs to young children there, a lot of them involving vaccination. It's just too bad that he's not available, that he wasn't available or even now not available because of his expertise in vaccination. So in order to tell you a little about him, let's go back into his history. The place in Ukraine I'm talking about is that uh, he went to a, uh, a town there called Dnepropodrovsk, uh, and um, he set up a pediatric primary care center and a pediatric public health uh, identification in that area. Now, Dnepropodrovsk uh, is a pretty famous city. It's on the Nepa River. It was Peter the Great City, at that time lying in Russia, and he was sent there by the Jewish Community Relations Council 
to improve their medical output uh, output over there. And um, so ultimately, uh, the vaccine work and the public health work he did over there took uh, a route when hepatitis B vaccine was introduced by his team so that they could get there what we get here. And 10,000 patients uh, mm. was the result. But then later, when he went back about seven or eight years later, they had uh, loved his work so much and the work of his team that they legislated uh, that vaccine countrywide. So now everybody in Ukraine who was thought to be an appropriate patient for that vac- vaccine was getting it. Now, this is really a different story than... We don't have to go into it, but that's a way different story than what's happening. In, in well, it also points out the uh, the bridge that can be created between cultures, between societies, where somebody's coming to the aid of somebody else, and it's not political. It's 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 empathetic and and, and it's helpful. Well, absolutely, Jordan, you hit the nail right on the head because we're all living in this shrinking world together, mm-hmm. and if we don't help each other. I mean, this, uh, for this kind of thing, there shouldn't be national boundaries. Right. This should be, it should be done the way that uh, David Link was doing it. And and in Voices of Brookline, there are so many examples of people who have taken their craft and their knowledge and expanded it well beyond Brookline town limits. This guy did it overseas, and as you say, perhaps millions of people have been impacted by it. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I'm upset. A lot of the people I wrote about in Voices of Brookline have passed on, and um, you know, I, uh, I find it moving when any of them do because uh, they all seem to have a big place, and some of them had places that were unforgettable, like David. You know, he tells the. So how did it get to be that way? He came from Cleveland originally, and um, you remember the the Fuestines, um Moses and Aaron, the brothers, and I think Aaron was the guy that got all their publicity about taking care of his- Marston Mills, I believe, was yeah, the name yeah, right. of the company. He took care of the Malden employees. Mills. Malden Mills, sorry. He took care of the uh, employees when they had a, was it a fire or? A, yeah, I think that yeah. was. Yeah. Anyway, he, he went out of his way to make sure their employees were able to survive and he was quite so, a mensch as a result. So what <laughs> happened is that he got, you know, the Fuesteins lived in Brooklyn. So he got very friendly with the brothers and they would invite him over the house all the time. This one to be a young doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the Fuestines were exceptional people to take care of the workers when they didn't have to because of the disaster that happened so that they all had bread on the table. And yeah. So uh, I'm sure he was heading in that direction, but they he became very impressed with Brookline. He said, I think Brookline is a wonderful community. There's, you know, if you have a problem, there's always somebody around that can solve that problem. We loved living in Brookline. The Fuesteens lived in Brookline. So I came to live in Brookline. He brought up his three kids here, his wife, who's a psychiatrist, medical doctor as well. I talked to her quite a bit uh, in the last month or two after he died. And I, um, so that he, he was an amazing guy. Now, uh, you know, what about his, well, I guess you would call it the, the wedding of public health to primary care for children. He really devoted his medical practice to children, whether they were here, there, Africa, wherever. 
And um, that's the kind of doctor he was. Now, what kind, what kind of a family did he come from? He came from a family where there was a close uh, – uh, some members of his family, I think, came from Vienna. His family was very musical. They went to a lot of musical events. Uh, they loved uh, all the classical composers, especially Mozart, uh, opera. Uh, David himself said he found music calming. He talked about going to that house right in the lee of the big old church in Vienna where Mozart's apartment was, where he wrote The Marriage of Figaro, an amazing place. And he here's the way he put it, joining his musical love with his medical practice. He said, I always think when I'm treating a kid that if we don't treat him properly or if he never got this treatment, we would lose a kid who might become a Mozart. As a matter of fact, Mozart died from kidney disease. And if that hadn't happened, maybe we'd have a 1,000 of his compositions instead of only 600. It's a great philosophy, yeah. And the last thing I'd say about David Link is that um, he once made a remark to me that he loved uh, Mozart's compositions for wind. No strings, mm -hmm. all wind, not an orchestral piece, sort of chamber music. But they are wonderful. There's one called the Grand Partita that goes on for an hour. If if you would listen to it, you'd mm -hmm. love it. There were a couple of others. And um, so... Sounds like a really good friend and somebody you can sit back and enjoy a, a glass of wine and some music with. Well, what I did is I went out and bought a set of those Mozart wind serenades mm -hmm. and gave them to David Perfect because gift. I just wanted him to... Had to have those at hand, so that was nice. There's another gentleman we wanted to mention on today's podcast, and uh, he's associated with a couple of institutions in the Brookline area that we'll talk about, John Gallagher. John Gallagher. Yeah, John Gallagher, when I uh, interviewed him, was the president of the, of, uh, the Longwood Cricket Club. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, the Longwood Cricket Club, like the Brookline Country Club in golf, had a reputation for being elite, not having Jewish people. No Jews allowed. Not having kind of black people. Right. You know, you had to be old school, old Yankee or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, John Gallagher is the antithesis of that. As a matter of fact, John Gallagher could be called an Irish Catholic who really is Jewish, or at least has a big Jewish strain. Now, how did that happen? Well, first of all, I got to know John Gallagher you know, when I interviewed him, and he, he gave me a wonderful interview. And the, one of the first points he made was that whatever the reputation of the Longer Cricket Club was once, it's not that way anymore. He said, we have a cross-section. Anybody is welcome. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much money you have. All you need to have that we want is that you love tennis. And so... He straightened me out on the on the Longwood Cricket Club. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, they even admitted me, not as a member because I never joined, but to chair a program of the Brookline Historical Society at the Longwood Cricket Club um, so that um, I had the pleasure of doing that. So anyway, uh, he... He combined his presidency of the Cricket Club 
with coming from one of the oldest Irish families in these parts, who basically were connected with Brookline. So, so uh, he became, how did he become, well, let me put it a different way. He became an attendee in his earlier years and in his later years at Temple of Emeth in Brookline, where Lois and I were married, and whose rabbi at that time was Zev Nelson. Uh, yes, I, we've talked about him. He, he went finally, I think, to Israel to live the rest of his days, and his son is Avi Nelson, the radio host. I didn't know we went to Israel to live. Yeah, the yeah. Because my... I had a, an aunt and uncle who lived uh, in Chestnut Hill, and they were members of the synagogue as well, and they knew all about him, and I knew about him through them. Um, uh, how does John Gallagher, with a name like Gallagher, wind up attending services, let's say, at uh, Temple Lemon? <laughs> Indeed. How? Well, he went to school in South Brookline at the Baker School. Baker School was all, also where Mike Dukakis went. So anyway, as John describes it, um, he was a very open guy right from the beginning. That's his nature. So he said that um, of his 47 classmates in his class, 44 were Jewish. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is the reverse. Jewish by osmosis. That's what we call it. So he said, he said to me, three is not a baseball team. So what can we do? Well, we knew a a lot of them studied Jewish history at Temple Lemeth. So we, we went to sit in the class, and we would learn a lot of Jewish history. And Zev Nelson apparently taught that course. And so he got to know Zev Nelson. He's a kid at this particular mm-hmm. time. And, but they, they uh, became friends. And as a matter of fact, John wound up with a custom-made mezuzah with a shamrock in it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You talk about... Bringing people together, this is great. Yeah, Masuza with a Star of David and a Shamrock. And he had his own Yamilki. So this all started with his friendship with Zev Nelson. He says he went to, he says, I've gone to more bar mitzvahs than most Jewish people. (laughs) (laughs) And he learned lots of Jewish phrases. Uh, And he said, a very telling thing he said to me, I learned how similar we all are Mm. as people. So that... um, so later in life, uh, living in the same area in Brookline, he had left Brookline, but then they moved back to Brookline. So he enrolled his youngest daughter, Amanda, in Emmeth in its non-sectarian preschool. Okay. And he attended often. And he was, he was made the Shabbat father on one occasion. And uh, the only Irishman who was not only that, but could speak Hebrew as well. Boy, what a what a find he was! Yeah, so that, he said that's how I became an honorary Jew and an Irish Catholic too. That's a great story. Wow. So, um, so what happened is that um, he uh, who who was his step grandfather? His step grandfather was probably the most famous Irishman other than JFK in our history, uh, and that was James Michael Curley. Oh my goodness! There you go. Famous mayor of Boston. Who served while in jail. While mayor. While mayor. That's what I mean. <laughs> he served as mayor while in jail. Uh, yes, the last hurrah, right? Yeah, right. And did you ever hear of Francis T. Leahy? Francis T. Leahy was legal counsel to the Boston Clo- Globe for many years and was well-known in Boston. So 
John's father died young. Mm-hmm. So he came to live in the Leahy home in Brookline. And he sat at Leahy's knee uh, and uh, who spoke and wrote poetry in Latin to learn about a lot of things. Leahy apparently was an extremely educated guy. So he learned a lot. So the Leahy family was big, big. So as John tells it, he had 44 first cousins. Oh, my gosh. Lots of brilliant people. Uh, many became members of the Longwood Cricket Club. He describes his childhood as wonderful, even after his father died. And he learned how to get along in a large family. And I guess the large family that he learned to get along in was not only his own family and the Leahy family, but the human family. Mm. Because that's the kind of guy that Gallagher was. And um, so he told me a little more about Longwood history, but I think we'd I think ending on that note. Uh, definitely two names that people will remember after hearing this and want to read more about. Uh, but it's, again, um, a testament to the, the stories that come out of Brookline and the fact that you captured these stories in the book, and now we're retelling them. That's wonderful stuff, Larry. You know, it's a funny thing. When I went to see John Gallagher, I, was in, I thought I was going to get a story on the Longwood Cricket Club. And I did get a story on the Longwood Cricket Club. But then he told me all this other stuff <laughs> that, that, that I, that, you know, it was new to me. It was, I never heard it before he said it. And um, so naturally, I'm drawn to this guy as, we, uh, as we're talking. I'm saying to myself, this guy is the real deal. Another lesson uh, about how people do come together. Both of these guys brought people together from different areas of life. And, and we're willing to take that step and make it, make it so. Yeah, it's it's amazing, Jordan, uh, how a lot of people think that their people, whatever that means, are the only people, mm. and how some other people recognize the fact that all people are their people. Now, there are differences in national outlook and, you know, religions and stuff like that. But essentially, the problems of people are... Uh, Similar. We all live. We all die. We all have problems. We all want to eat. We all want to marry. We all want to have friends. We all want to uh, not be alone. Um, it's doesn't vary a whole lot. Uh, I don't know who said it. Uh, somebody. A lot of people have said it. Uh, that and maybe genealogists will say, well, ninety nine percent were alike. We all sort of came from the same original pool. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Great stuff, Larry, as always. Can't wait for the next one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Jordan. Always uh, I like it because you'll spring a surprise someplace along the line. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRutman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.